Well, as you know, we're on this series, the, the, call, the Unworthy Kingdom. The Unworthy Kingdom. And before I get started, i got to give a shout out to Dave Bronson. Right over here, our new mayor. Congratulations, Dave. I'll tell you what, I still think they don't know, they're still struggling with their counting, but they're going to get there. So I just figured we might as well just celebrate because we know the truth. We know where we're going. But we've been talking about this unworthy kingdom. We've been talking about what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And, and we've been looking at how the kingdom was this, this thing, this description that Jesus is making. He's saying, hey, listen, there's, a, there's something that you're not getting. There, there's a part that these unworthy kingdom, this, this kingdom that I've set aside, that the world thinks is unworthy, that is so important. And we looked at the character of the kingdom and how it reflects who we are as Christians. We're to be dependent on Christ and broken over our sin and humble and meek in spirit. Then we looked at the commitment of the kingdom and how commitment was about righteousness and generosity and one with God and reconciled to God. And then last week, oh my goodness, last week we looked at the courage of the kingdom and all of us sat and watched as people described what it meant to be fully involved and engaged in the courage of the kingdom, how they were able to stand publicly for Christ as they were willing to suffer for the kingdom and how they were bold risk takers. And I believe that that is this church. I believe that that's who we desire to be. But today we're going to go one step further and we're going to look at the cause of the kingdom. The cause of the kingdom. What is it that we fight for? What is the cause of the kingdom? Let's read in the, your word in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 2 as we get to our point here. It is, it says this, Jesus opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you and then these words. And then these words. You are the salt of the earth. Not only the character, the commitment, and the courage. He gets ready and he makes a bold statement. He says, you, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. When I think about salt, I think about 50-pound bags of salt. Ugh. When I think about salt, I think about Alaskan roads. <laughs> when I think about salt, I think about a lot of things, but we understand the cause of the kingdom is to be salt of the earth. And the truth is this, who is responsible to be the salt? We are. We are the ones that are responsible to be the salt of the earth. Who are we? Those who live out the character of the kingdom, the commitment of the kingdom, and the courage of the kingdom. But the question you have to ask is to remember 
Jesus is speaking after 400 years of silence. Why in the world would he have chosen salt? Why did he say you're the salt of the earth? I mean, there's so many other things you could have chose, but salt, Lord? What? I mean, I don't like to be salt. Salt doesn't sound all that delicious. Salt sounds kind of interesting. I mean, salt, salt has a lot of different issues. But the truth that is stated here is that he's referring back to an Old Testament statement, an Old Testament command that was happening. And it's found in Leviticus 2 and verse 11. The idea of this salt, Jesus, like the rest of this Sermon on the Mount, is going to transfer what is Old Testament and make it real to what the New Testament has to say. And here's what the Old Testament says in Luke or Leviticus 2 and verse 11. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, okay, yeast, for you shall burn no leaven or any honey as a food offering to the Lord. In other words, whatever you bring to the Lord, it can't, be, it can't be fluffy and delicious, and it can't be sweet like honey. No, no, no. It's got to be something else. Verse 12 says, as, as an offering of first fruits, you may bring them. You can bring them as a first fruit offering, but not as a sacrifice burnt on the altar. But they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. And notice what he says right here. You shall season all of your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. And then he says this, with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. You shall offer salt. So today I want to talk about five things, five things that salt represents in the Old Testament that you and I, as a New Testament covenant, are to do in the world. Five things I believe it's powerful. I also believe this. It's not honey. It's not yeast. It's not going to be sweet. There's going to be some things said here today that are going to be a little painful. And the first is this. The purpose of salt, the idea that Jesus was wanting to say was salt is something that preserves and decontaminates. Of course, everybody says, I've heard that sermon before. I understand. Salt preserves. It saves things. And you are correct. Salt preserves. But salt preserves food because it removes the moisture. And so the bacteria cannot decay whatever it's covering. When I think about salt, this salt is so, you thought there was going to be some rock salt in here, but there's really not. There's salt. I want to lay it out right here so I always remember. Salt. Hmm. A little tasty. The idea of salt preserving is powerful. The idea that we're to be preserved by salt. We're called to do something different. We're called to be something that preserves the sacrifice. Hmm. Get it? We're called to preserve the truth of the gospel. We're, we're called to preserve who Christ is, the word of God. This is what we're called to do. Notice Jude chapter 3. It says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Preserve the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for the, this condemnation. Ungodly people who perverted the grace of our God into sensuality and denied our only master, Lord and, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
We are called to be this preserver because everybody that's out there in the world that hates God is trying to do everything to destroy who he is. We are to contend for the faith because people are trying to disrupt the faith. Do we not see that here today? Do we not see it all around us? How then do we preserve the truth? You ever wonder that? How do we preserve the truth? What is it that we do? Do we come to church? Do we sit around? Do we, do we talk a little bit? Do we, I mean, what is it, church, that we're supposed to do? I believe this. We are to prepare, defend, live, and love the truth. Do you? Do you? Are you prepared? Do you defend? Do you live? And do you love the truth? This thing that we're supposed to preserve, we must grasp that. First Peter says this in verse 3 and verse 15. Chapter 3 and verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Church, are we prepared to make a defense? Do you live your life in such a way that you feel confident that you can defend your faith? This is what it means to preserve with salt. This is what it means to fight for a cause, the cause of the kingdom. Do we defend our faith when we are challenged, or do we have ourselves be silent? Do we choose to not say a word? Or do we fight in such a way that we actually turn the person against Christ, and they want nothing to do with us because we found the wrong method? Do we live boldly? <coughs> Excuse me. As though you have hope? Do you live boldly as though you have hope? In other words, do you live in such a way that the boldness of your declaration preserves the truth? Do you love with gentleness and respect? Hmm. We prepare by knowing the truth. We prepare by teaching the next generation. I love the fact that it's Graduate Sunday as we're talking about this. You and I, <clears throat> we're called to prepare the next generation. We are called to teach and to train and engage in what it means to tell the next generation how to live and what to live for. Do you realize we live in a society today where kids have no, nothing to live for? They have no hope. They're not given any hope in school. All it is, chase money, pleasure, satisfy yourself. Where is the hope that is taught to our next generation if it's not found in church? Proverbs 22, 6 says, 6 says this, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not, what? Depart from it. He will not depart from it. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. <clears throat> will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3.14 says this, But as for you, this is Paul talking to Peter, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Notice this. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm going to cough really bad right here. Think about that. Paul's writing Timothy and he's saying, listen, you need to remember what it is that you learned from the sacred writings. What is it that you learned? Church, I'm afraid 
that we as believers are failing to pass on the scripture to the next generation and giving them the power that they need. We fail to teach our children. We fail to preserve the truth. We find ourselves in this quandary. And so I want to challenge you right now. If you have your bulletin today, I want you to take it out. If you have one of these. On the back of this card is something very powerful. We have an explosion happening at this church. And there's a graph that I put on the board that I'd like to show you. It's incredible. We are, we are blowing the doors out when it comes to our children's ministry here at this church. Amen? Say amen. And on this flyer is an opportunity for you to decide that you're going to be part of reaching the next generation. Notice this. Our nursery is up 20 kids. Excuse me. I probably need some water. We need our parents to participate once a month. And we need 10 new volunteers. How about this one? 930. Our church is up over 50. We need 12 workers. Our 11 o'clock kids program is up 80. We need 23 workers. We need 23 workers. Think about this. What are we asking you to do? I'm asking you to invest as salt into the life of the next generation. I know, listen to me, all the parents in this room are saying, man, I do everything I can to get away from my kids. Matter of fact, I come to church so somebody else will watch them. And there's some truth to that story. But the problem is that some people don't want to teach your kids because you raised them. <laughs> the truth is, it requires a tremendous amount of patience that even I struggle with. However, church, generation one, generation two, I want you to know something. If we fail to reach our kids, if we fail to invest in their lives, if we fail to make an impact in who they are, then we're failures. The gospel is not meant for us to hold up with and just hold on to. The gospel is not for us to just hold tight. It's not for us just to be salty inside this church. The idea of salt is to preserve for the next generation. We have to make a difference. And so I'm asking you to ask the question, are you willing to preserve the truth? Are you willing in this church to be salt for the next generation? Some of you, it's going to be uncomfortable. Some of you, it, listen, it's going to be something you've never thought about, but I'm going to ask you the question, why not you? Why not you? Why not choose to say, I'm going to get involved? After the service today, you can take your card, you can give it to the ushers. You can also go out to the table that we have set up in the lobby where you can ask Tim and Chris all the questions you want to ask. And just so you know, I'm sure we're not going to make you teach the theological background of all the scripture of the first week. That'll be the second week. But the first week, we just need you to be willing to, just to be there. Do you realize that kids are looking for role models? And you're that person. You can make a difference in the lives of kids. We are called to preserve the truth. We are called to make a difference. And when we stop remembering that, when we stop thinking that our job is to preserve the truth and to reach people with the gospel, the salt loses its savor. But salt not only preserves the truth from decay, salt seasons, listen, salt seasons and activates these. I'm just telling you right now, this stuff is salty. 
It seasons and activates things. It, it does some completely different stuff in the world. Think about Job chapter 6 and verse 6. Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Ask the question. Have you ever ate something that has zero salt in it? I've never had this happen before. Here we go. <clears throat> Have you ever eaten something without savoring? Think about the rest of this verse. Have you ever eaten egg whites plain? All you health food people, raise your hand. All those guys who blend that garbage up. <laughs> Ugh, just the thought of it makes me sick. <clears throat> This idea, this, this thought of salt, it seasons. It brings out the best of food. Oh, my goodness, I'm thinking of a T-bone right now. <laughs> but there's something very interesting about salt. Too little, and you might as well not have put it on. Right? I mean, too little salt, it's like, eh, what's the big deal? And too much salt, and it's like, oh, my goodness, this is hot. What do you do? You throw it away. Like, I can't eat that. That's horrible. We got to have it just right. It's got to be perfect. I mean, you just, and you know how, it's amazing how you know how much is the right amount. I mean, you, you know, you got it, like a little pinch. The right kind of salt. That's no different in the Christian life. As the salt of the earth, we are chosen to impact the world in the same way. Not too much, not too little, just right. How much salt is just right? Listen to me. How much salt do we know we can add to the earth, how we can add to the world, add to our families? How much salt do we know that is the perfect amount? Listen, this is the test. The amount in which creates the greatest glory to God. The amount in which makes the greatest glory to God. <clears throat> this is what we do. This is what it's all about. How do we do that? How do we figure that out? Unfortunately, this is true. I believe churches in America have lost their impact. Matter of fact, I believe churches are empty and people in the world pay very little attention to them anymore because they've lost their salt. Pastors have lost their salt. They have found themselves being what? Predictable, lacking creativity and innovation, apathetic to culture. They're boring. Let's just face it. The modern church in America today is flat out boring. The younger generation is like, are you kidding me? You want me to sit there and listen to that? Not happening. Why is it that we lack this salt? Why are we boring? I'll tell you why we're boring. We're boring because we're bored. Most pastors today that are struggling with, with, with a dead congregation, they themselves are struggling because they are also living a bored life. They lack passion and enthusiasm. They lack vision and conviction. They are unwilling to change for the sake of risk. They've lost their zestiness to salt. But we have to remember something that salt brings out the best in everything, church. Salt brings out the best in everything. It makes that steak, oh my goodness, I can think of it now. Filet mignon, butterfly, lots of salt. Just a little pepper, nothing else. It brings out the best. Listen, church should be a place where we come and it brings out our best. It's a place where Christians come together and brings out our best. But I believe this. 
That when we found ourselves with changes being plain and predictable, we've lost our passion and our power. But I also believe that pastors have caused the congregations of this world to also lose their salt. To also find themselves going through life and playing church, not being involved in what God has called you to be involved with. Because I'm not the salt of the earth. I am just part of the salt of the earth. We are the salt of the earth. We are called to be salty, zesty, creative. You see, the church is lacking the perception, production, patience, and passion. We find ourselves in this quandary. If we look at our week last week, we can answer that question. Were we salty? Did we live our life bringing glory to God to the fullest potential? Or did we just skate by? Did we just find ourselves, ah, we're okay, we're pretty good. Notice Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. This is very interesting. Colossians 4, 5 says this, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Walk in wisdom. Be per- have perception. Understand where you are and who you're with. Understand your surroundings. Know, understand the picture of where you're going. And make best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with what? Salt. Seasoned with salt, a little saltiness, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We are called to preserve, but we are called to be seasoning. We are called to bring life to the world. See, part of the problem is we don't see the world as we should. Our perception is off because we, see, we don't see the world as lost, naked, blind, and hurt. We see the world as our enemy. We see the world as someone who's out to get us. We see the world as something different than the way God sees the world. God sees the world as those who are blind and naked and struggling. They're going through life and they don't know any better. And our job is to be the salt. We're the ones that are supposed to reveal the truth to them. We're supposed to be able to reevaluate how we use our time in this season of salt. We're supposed to approach every situation of the people we see and think, how is it that I can find a way to share the gospel, to be salt to this person in their life so that their life can be transformed with the gospel? It'll be different forever and will change generations and generations. Oh, no, we often find ways in which we're going to avoid people. We don't want to talk to them. We don't want to talk about that. We don't have to study that. We don't have to know that. That's not what God called us to do. But not only that, we're supposed to have patience. Let always us be thinking as we're speaking that our job is to speak from a position that we were once where they were, sinners saved by grace. Do you walk through life understanding that you're salt and that you're a sinner saved by grace? You're just one decision away from where they are today. Do you see them that way? Do you understand what the world is facing? Let us speak with passion that brings out the best of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have been called to be seasoning. Seasoning. And I love salt. Why salt? Why did he choose salt? Why did Jesus use salt? We are salt of the earth, not just because it preserves, not only because it seasons and activates, but because salt heals and medicates. Salt heals and medicates. Do you realize that we in this room with the word of God have the answers that the world is looking for? Do you understand we have the power to heal? Do you grasp it? Or do you think, oh no, they don't want to listen. That's true. They are sick and they don't even know it. But our gospel is the one that heals. 
I love the story of Elisha with salt. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 19. It's a situation where Elisha comes to a, a community, and, and they're good people, but there's just some struggle going on. And notice this, he says in verse 19. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, behold, the situation of the city is pleasant. It, it's a good thing. We like what we're doing. As my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. Listen, we have a lot of good people in churches. We have a lot of pleasant stuff going on. But something's happened. The water is bad. The land is unfruitful. Do we live in this world? We do. We're living in a land where the water is bad. And the land is unfruitful with the gospel. And he said to them, bring me a new bowl and put salt into it. So they brought it to him. And when he went to the spring of water, he threw it, the salt in and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. And from now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. Salt heals and medicates. In the Old Testament, it was a picture. The picture of healing. Do you realize the salt of the saints will turn barrenness and bitterness into blessedness? Do you understand that? Do you understand your friends and the world who is struggling? That you have the opportunity to represent salt in that world. Salt heals the salt of the saint heals broken hearts, broken hopes, broken homes. This is what our salt does. This is who we are. This is why we are salt of the earth. The salt of the earth brings healing to broken families, healing to our land, and healing to our cities. You have been given this gift of healing. Unfortunately, today, I believe salt is not being used. And when it is used, it is so sporadic. Church, churches that are listening to me by television, churches that are watching online, I'm here to tell you something. We have our work cut out for us. We are the salt of the earth. We are that which preserves the truth. We are those who bring seasoning and excitement to the Christian faith. We are those who heal the sick through Jesus Christ in Christ alone. This is not necessarily healing that the, that the salt brings of the physical manner because we know this, the physical world is going to die. No, this is much deeper than that. It is a healing of spiritual and emotional and relational life. This is what you offer. But unfortunately today in our own families and in our own lives, we're struggling with these very same things because we don't see ourselves as salt. We are the salt of the earth because salt preserves the truth from the decay Salt activates the soul. Salt brings healing and hurting, but salt also does this incredible thing. Salt irritates. Have you ever had salt irritate a burn or cut? Have you rubbed it in on purpose to stop the bleeding? Has you ever realized how irritating salt is in your eye or wherever it's at? I can't stand salt burning my skin, but I do know this. It's unavoidable. Did you know that? Salt is irritating. So what in the world is the Christian? How does that play into their life? What is it about salt's irritation? What is it that we're called to be the salt of the earth, preserving the truth and all these things, and yet salt is so irritating? Why does the world hate us? Why is it that we find the world against us when we are all called to love our neighbor as ourselves, when we're called to declare the truth, when we're just proclaiming the gospel. I mean, really, why are we hated? Did you ever wonder? 
It's because salt irritates. Salt irritates. Salt finds itself in conflict with the world. It confronts sin. There is no equating it. When you go out into the world and you preach the truth, you will find yourself contrary to the world confronting sin. Not only that, salt convicts. Salt brings conviction on the soul. The word of God is powerful, and it goes out from your mouth and in your life, and it convicts the soul, and it is something the flesh hates to hear. Salt conveys the truth about sin, death, and hell. It stings in a wound. It is ugly, totally destroying our personal selves, the flesh within us. Remember how we started this conversation that God was speaking to the Israelites about the kind of sacrifice he did not want. He did not want it rubbed in honey, and he did not want it mixed with leaven. He wanted it mixed with salt. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why have churches turned the gospel and try to milk toast it around and make it really appealing so that you can down it like honey? Have you ever wondered that? That is not the way the gospel is presented. The gospel is presented in a very powerful way. The gospel calls us to confront sin and repent. If you're lost here today, I want you to understand something. The gospel is the good news. It's the hope that you have for eternal life, but it is calling you to repent of your sins and turn from your wickedness. It's calling you to do something different. It's calling us to die to ourselves and live for Christ. Oh my goodness, that's an irritating thing. That kind of rubs me the wrong way. No, the gospel calls for us to repent before there's ever a relationship. We'll hear churches talk about, hey, you want a relationship with Christ? Yes, I do. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. I think it's the most important thing in my life. But I'm telling you this, there is no relationship apart from repentance. There is no relationship apart from repentance. I must admit that I am a sinner and I must turn from my way so that my relationship with Christ can be restored. Without it, it cannot happen. But I'm afraid it happens all the time. The gospel calls us to confess, to avoid condemnation. The gospel is a commitment to obedience and not a life of, un, listen, of unconditional grace. We don't get saved so we can take advantage of God's grace and live any way we want to live. This is not the gospel. That's why salt is irritating. The salt constantly irritates my flesh. The const it's constantly fighting against my old sin nature. I find myself at war with salt. And I'm sure if you were honest, you do too. Hence, we have this dilemma. We're called to preserve. We're called to season it with salt. We're called to do all these wonderful things with salt. And yet at the same time, we are an irritant. We are out in the world speaking a different language, saying things that cause friction because of the world flesh and the devil. Listen, we need to stop selling it as honey, and we need to start salting the earth. I love this statement from Adrian Rogers. This is what he says. I've come to this conviction. If there is no offense, there is no effect. If there is no offense, there is no effect. In other words, if the gospel does not offend you to the point of repentance, convict your soul, there will be no effect. You'll pray that prayer a hundred times, a thousand times. You'll keep praying it, and you'll keep praying it, and you'll keep praying it, and you're never going to have what you're looking for. Because it doesn't satisfy the soul unless you confront your sin when you find yourself here. 
The truth of the gospel is not presented uh, to bring repentance. The truth of the gospel wasn't presented. If If the truth of the gospel wasn't presented to bring repentance, a transformation, a change, then it wasn't presented at all. Because the gospel calls us to repentance. We are salt. We irritate. We irritate. We irritate. Now, I know you don't like to hear that, and I apologize. Actually, I don't. I'm just here to tell you the truth. We've got to stop milk toasting the truth about the gospel. Radical life change happens when we are fully devoted followers of Christ who have repented and have humbled ourselves before the almighty God. But lastly, this is true. We are the salt of the earth because we preserve the truth from decay, because we season and activate the soul Because God uses us to bring healing to the hurting. Also to irritate the world, the flesh, and the devil. But salt, lastly, was chosen because salt penetrates. Salt penetrates. If I take this salt, and I take this glass, this bottle of water, and I add salt to it, I can tell you that it's not great to drink. But what I do know is this. I do know that it'll penetrate every part of this bottle. It's going to transform the entire drink. It's going to penetrate to the core. The reason why you and I are salt is because we have been called to penetrate the world. Listen to me, church. It's not an option. If you are salt, the salt of the world... You are penetrating the world. You cannot be in the world and not have an impact, or you are not a bearer of the salt. We know Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Salt penetrates. Salt penetrates. Has salt penetrated Anchorage with the gospel? Has salt transformed this city with the gospel? Have we found ourselves, every church in Anchorage, there are hundreds of them, by the way. We are not the only one, contrary to popular belief. But are we penetrating this city? Are we making a difference? I'm afraid... There's a lot of salt in this city, but unfortunately, it's being locked up in storage centers around the community called churches. I believe we are the saltiest people there are. I believe we're so salty, we're oversalting ourselves. We're so salty, all we know is salt. Matter of fact, all we got is salt. Salt, salt, salt. We're salt, salt. We are salt. Amen? That's what we think. Guess what? The only problem is the Bible doesn't say, be the salt of the church. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that we're the salt of the church. No, we're the salt of the earth. Our saltiness should be demonstrated outside these walls. I'm afraid churches have become sacred societies for snubbing sinners. 
We've just become this place where we all get together and feel good about ourselves and how we can worship God and all that's great. It's wonderful. But our cause, what we live for, what we're created for is to be salt. Jesus is making this statement. Remember, he just finishes the Beatitudes and the very next set of words as you are the salt of the earth. You have been called for this reason. We need to penetrate our city with salt. Every business, every industry, every native corporation and every level of government should be totally penetrated by the Christians of this city. And it should be flowing out of us. It should be seeping out of us. Church, I know this. This is my passion, and I truly believe this is your passion. And this is where we are going no matter what. We will be salt of the earth. We will make a difference, and we will change something. Why is it? Why? Why? Why, you ask? Pastor Ron, why are you talking about salt so much? Man, I feel so convicted. You just tore my... I hate hearing you preach. Sometimes I hate hearing myself preach. I go home, and I'm like, mm, I hated that. Listen, this is why. When salty saints are the salt of the earth, the world gets thirsty. When salty saints are the salt of the earth, the world gets thirsty. And the only thing that can quench that thirst, the only thing that can quench that thirst is the living water of Jesus Christ. This is what we do, and this is why we do it. If people around you are not thirsty for the gospel, you might want to ask yourself whether you're presenting your salt well. Are you presenting your salt well? I just want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to implore you. I want to ask you to think about what it means for you to be the salt of the earth. What does it mean for you to preserve the truth? What does it mean for you to season those around you? What does it mean for you to bring healing to your family and to your friends? What does it mean for you to gently irritate the world and confront them and where they are because that's where we lack. We lack irritation because we're afraid of what they're going to say. But the Bible is clear, we will be persecuted if we are salt. And will you commit to penetrating this city? This is why the cause of the kingdom is to be the salt of the world. This is why we've been called. This is why we've been chosen. This is why we are followers of Christ. This is what it's all about. This is what we're to do. But if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, if you're here today and you're hearing me for the very first time, you're like, I've never heard this conversation before. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. The reason why we're talking about the salt of the world is because Jesus, the creator of the universe, came down to earth and he died for your sin and my sin. You say, I'm not a sinner. Ah, I don't think that's true. Matter of fact, I know I'm a sinner. I know this, all of us in our hearts know that we are sinners we are separated from God. This built within us. Everyone in the house knows that. You're no different. I'm here to tell you something. You can be forgiven for that sin. You can have a life restored with the Father, the Creator in heaven. It requires you to confess with your mouth 
and believe in your heart that he has risen from the dead. Oh, yes, it's going to require you to lose your life to gain the life to come. And I'm here to tell you something. It's worth every bit of your time because you will become salt. You will be a world changer. You will become a life transformer. You will be part of God's army. But listen to me. Unless you repent of your sins, unless you turn from your wicked ways, unless you fall on your knees before the almighty God and give your life to him, I'm afraid there's going to be a separation. You're going to be separated from for eternity. That's the irritating part. You're going to face hell. You're going to face a place of darkness completely separated from God. This is the choice that you have to make. Do you want to be one with God or one with yourself, separated from God forever? I pray that you'll choose in just a minute when we have prayer time to come down one of these aisles and give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. But church, there's a new chapter. Just like we have a new sheriff in town, the mayor, it's time for the church to take a stand. It's time for the church to be salt. It's time for church to come out of the closet and realize that our job is to penetrate this world. It's time for us in every area and every avenue and everywhere we go that we are salt, that we are presenting the truth of the gospel in an effective and powerful way. We've got to stop getting part of the sideline, being on the sidelines and start engaging in what God has called us to do.